Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, oh. Talk Recorded live. Good evening, everybody. It is Wednesday, March 16th, 2016. And we're back with uh, Bob Schaefer tonight. And Bob is going to be talking to us about the sovereignty of the American people. So, uh, by the way, before we get started, for those of you that are new or or whatever, first time you're listening to this, uh, you can check out the archives of these calls broken down by subject at youhavetheright.com you can join our small monthly membership and that will uh, help us to bring these calls to you to help support us and uh, we're also we're going to be adding some more uh, mentors to that section here real soon so uh, please stay tuned to that and if you join, you're also put on our mailing list, and you'll get the updates. So, Bob, why don't you take it away? Okay. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us. Tonight we're going to talk about a really hot topic that uh, today's government and crazy governments, and I'll explain the term crazy governments in a minute, they don't want you to know about this. Um, they have usurped a lot of power and authority that was never delegated to them, and to be able to do that, they need you to believe that you are a subject, just like the, the former um, subjects of the King of England were subjects uh, before July 4, 1776. Um, I usually just talk from the top of my head, but I'm going to read something now that I have written, so it's okay because I wrote it. And it's, you know, uh, I think it was Samuel Clemens said a good author edits and edits and edits and edits and edits. And that's what I do. And so when I read this, this has been edited many times, but it's it's honed down to the most important thing so we can um, save a lot of time by by doing this. Um, every good artist sketches in a little background before they get on to the main subject. So that's what I'm going to do here. I'm going to sketch in some background to sovereignty. Um, we need to we need to get a, the, the big picture, not just hit the high points. Okay, it is well settled that the original founding fathers and all of approximately two and a half million American inhabitants became sovereign on July 4, 1776 A.D., with the signing of the Unanimous Declaration of Independence, and that the ownership of their private land also became sovereign with what was known as an allodial title ownership um, or title held in allodium, as presented above. That, this, this, this follows uh, sovereign uh, title on land. That is why the world eventually knew America was a nation of sovereigns with no subjects and a place where a man's house was his castle. On that date, there were absolutely no state or federal governments. 
so the sovereign people were not citizens under any government control. They were just the inhabitants. Over the years, some of those sovereign people stepped down from their high and lofty sovereign status and standing to become public servants for the day. But then they regained their sovereignty when they ceased their governmentally sanctioned daily activity. It, is, it was only during the time during the day that they were public servants they were under the constitutional mandates for their office. As time went on, lesser administrative laws such as statutes, statutes of law, revised statutes, ordinances, codes, titles, manuals, res- resolutions, rules, and regulations were either constitutionally passed one at a time or administratively adopted in bulk. Such laws or quasi-laws only apply to the in-house regulation and management of those governments and government officers, agents, and employees to govern and manage all of them for the benefit of the sovereign people. The sovereign people were still not under those laws. The people had to place themselves under those laws with a contract. The contract was their uh, application for their, for their job and then their oath of office. According to an old proverb, a fountain cannot rise higher than its source is appropriate here. The original sovereign inhabitants or sovereign people used a portion of their sovereignty known as a clipped sovereignty to create those original federal and state governments to serve them well. In other words, it was the sovereignty of those original sovereign people that was the source of the sovereignty that created the fountain of government, the original, uh, you know, the people of the fountain, by the way, the sovereign, the, the original sovereign people did not create a government that would or could rise higher than the sovereign people and be able to control those sovereign people. It was a lesser clipped sovereignty that would govern those old original federal and state governments that were to serve the sovereign people. The issue of sovereignty, therefore, flows down from the original sovereign people to the governments they created to serve them, then on down to those sovereign people who stepped down from their sovereign status and standing for the day to become a public servant, but only while engaged in the governmental activity of serving the sovereign people. Today's public servants claim they do not serve the the sovereign people, but are public servants to the government public entity. So yeah, they are public servants, but they serve the government. But they cannot point to any constitutionally valid law that made that change. Therefore, a subject matter jurisdictional challenge is appropriate. Now we've got a. We'll do a whole talk on on jurisdictional challenges uh, one of these days, but. They, it's okay. It's not. A, it's not a rebellious, or evil, or unlawful thing to challenge somebody's jurisdiction, although they take it that way. Now, here's what happened. In 1861, uh, Abraham Lincoln was the president, and the southern states saw which way things were going, and they got up and they walked out of Congress. Now. Back in high school, I had an English teacher. She was 10 years older than the class. We were 17. She was 27. She was in love with Abraham Lincoln because he freed the slaves, and she had nothing bad to say about Abraham Lincoln. But as I studied law, 
I have learned that uh, there was not everything really great. Uh, he did feed the slaves, but um, he also set it up for everybody to become slaves in a different in a different way. Um, the the Civil War. Well, when the uh, the the congressmen or the legislators from the seven southern states got up and walked out of Congress, it killed Congress. There was no more Congress. They didn't have a quorum. They did not need a quorum to adjourn, but they needed a quorum to reconvene. Now, they never taught this to us in high school, and I never thought about it until about six years ago when I joined the uh, the, the Republic, and I learned this at that time, and this is really happened. So there was no there was no legislative branch of government, so Abraham Lincoln lost his three branch or department government. So he could not get Congress to declare war on the South, so he declared war on the South uh, as the commander-in-chief. Now, <clears throat> the amount of people that died in that war was more than all other wars combined. It was really bad. And America went into tremendous debt over it. Now, if you take the debt, the amount of money that that war cost, Abraham Lincoln could have gone into the South and purchased all those slaves and set them free that way. Nobody would have died, but he didn't do that. And so that's a little upsetting to me uh, because, uh, you know, as smart as he was, I guess he didn't think about that. So we have a really bad a bad war. But um, so then we did not have any government no constitutionally valid three-branch government. Government always is real slow. They finally catch on, they get it finally, and everything they do is is late. But usually for a good reason. They see some good in it. Now the original uh, people in America, they develop protection uh, like uh, for their assets, like, like um, common law of trust. They were common law because they had, there was no statutory trust at the time. Well, government comes along and say, well, that's really cool. Let's, let's get in on that and let's create some trusts that are pursuant to, built pursuant to statutes. And then uh, we can get in on it. And then we can have our lawyers get in on it because you have to have a lawyer to, to develop a thing. Well, the original people, like the Rockefellers and, and uh, on um, North guys, they, they they created trusts without lawyers and without the law. They were just a, a contract. They had a right to contract with themselves. And so they protected everything with trust. Now we're finding that there's something better than trust, and that's foundations, because with trust, the trustee owns your stuff. And... <clears throat> So if, there's, if the trustee has, so let's say, a $60,000 IRS liability, they can go to the assets of the trust and sell them to pay them that. And that actually happened to a friend of mine. $60,000 came out of his estate because he had a bankruptcy trustee that owed $60,000 to the IRS. <clears throat> so anyway, it took him 10 years, it took the government 10 years to realize it didn't have a government. And so they they decided to uh, to come up with a quasi-government. Quasi means as if it were, but isn't. 
And the right way to say that is quasi. It's not quasi or quasi. It's quasi. <clears throat> and so they in, incorporated Washington, D.C. with the Act of 1871. Well, then that corporation started creating lesser corporations all over the nation with creating other states, overlapping states. The overlapping states are the state of. <clears throat> and they are spelled in uppercase letters, the corporations. And those states came out with counties. And <clears throat> like, for instance, uh, San Bernardino County in California was uh, started in 1853. But in 1912, the county of San Bernardino came into existence. I have that charter, and that's pursuant to the Act of 1871. So the county of San Bernardino is a federal corporate county under the federal corporate United States Incorporated, not the United States of America. <clears throat> so there's an overlapping jurisdiction all over America now. And that got enhanced by the Buck Act of, of 1940, <clears throat> excuse me, which refers to things that happen in this state, and the word state is is um, capitalized. So they're talking about the overlapping state. Then during the 50s, they came out with the Zone Improvement Program Code, or the ZIP Code, tied to the uh, United States Postal Service. All this corporate stuff is a service now. It's, we have um, Child Protective Services, the Internal Revenue Service, if you look in the phone book, you'll see a lot of services. And in, uh, in our administration building in San Bernardino, in the parking lot, it says customer parking. It does not say constituent parking. So we're all customers now to the federal corporations that have usurped the original jurisdictions. Now, the, the new republic, which was formed about almost six years ago, was designed to re-inhabit the original government. And we we thought that the, the the federal corporate government would collapse or implode on itself by its death, but they keep doing uh, quantitative easing, which just means printing more money. And, uh, and so that it doesn't collapse, but it's probably going to collapse anyway someday. We don't know. I'm not going to set any dates. But, you know, my great-grandfather came to America from Prussia, which was a very powerful nation and wealthy. And it it gave away so much of its stuff that it, uh, it no longer exists. And uh, that's, you know, America is 240 years almost. And uh, that's really stretching because most democracies only last for about 200 years. And uh, the uh, United States Army Manual, which you can Google, uh, talks about the difference between a a democracy and a republic. And our government started out to be a republic. There's no such thing as a democratic republic. It just doesn't exist. It's either republic or democracy. And now we're talking about our democracy. And yeah, we pledge allegiance to the republic for which it stands. But see, that went right over most people said they never saw it coming. But now we're, we're showing up democracies all over the world, or we're trying to help people become a democracy all over the world. So um, they've gotten away from sovereignty. And, you know, this happened so long ago that everybody alive today was raised 
thinking that they're under control, that they're citizens. And um, if you if you notice, there's a difference between a constitutionally valid law, which is passed after a lot of work in the different legislative houses, a lot of readings, and it goes back and forth, and it can only address one issue at a time. And it has to have an, it has to have an enabling clause sandwiched between the title of the law and its number above, and then the, the enabling clause that says who passed this law, the uh, Congress um, passed it on a certain date, and then there's the law itself. Now, when you get in the court, when they come after you criminally, they don't go by the rules of court. They don't quote the entire law. So that means they violated the the essential element rule. How do you know what you're accused of without pre- uh, presenting the entire law? For instance, can you get stopped like I have in the past? Well, it's very rare. Uh, I haven't had a driver's license for 26, excuse me, 36 years. And so they would like to cite me for California Vehicle Code 12,500A, driving without a driver's license. Well, I'm not driving. I'm traveling. There's a difference between driving and operating a motor vehicle and driving and uh, traveling in an automobile. Words and their meanings are critical. So anyway, then they never completely cite the law. Well, the law says all persons who drive a motor vehicle shall be licensed. I'm all for that. I think all persons who drive a motor vehicle should be licensed, but I'm not a person. You don't call me a person. I don't drive or operate anything, especially a motor vehicle. Title 18, Section 31 defines a motor vehicle as a contrivance, conveyance, or machine used in trade, commerce, business, or industry. That's not me. And, that's, and, and it goes on to say for a fair fee or rate. I'm just traveling for my own business and pleasure. So you see how they've, they've usurped power and authority that was never delegated to them, and then they've tricked us all into, into their web, thinking, thinking that uh, we're, we're persons. So now we to talk about persons, all the non-constitutional laws are called uh, statutes and ordinances and codes. Uh, they refer to persons. They say all persons, like I just put it to vehicle code, all persons who drive a motor vehicle shall be licensed. So everything, and the word persons is plural, just like people is plural. They could have just as well said all people who drive a motor vehicle, but they don't. They use the word person. Person is a corporation. A a, um, corporation is a person. And so is an association, and so are partnerships. They're all persons, and a person can soon be sued. And uh, we think we're a good person, so we fall into that. Now I'm going to read some case law because this is really important. And this goes back. Most of the ones I'm going to read to you are United States Supreme Court cases, but some of them are other cases. Um, but we can quote them too because they're all federal corporate states now. And so originally, when they, they say, well, you can't quote a, a Florida case in California. Well, now you can because it's a federal corporate uh, Florida and a federal corporate state of California. Now, I'm going to read uh, a case now. I'm going to quote here. The people of this state, and that's spelled in uppercase, as the successors of the former, of the former sovereign are entitled to all the rights which 
formerly belonged to the king by his prerogative. In other words, we are kings. We're the king on our own land. That's Lansing versus Smith. And there's a citation here. Then, <clears throat> moving on, the government are but trustees acting under derived authority and have no power to delegate what is not delegated to them. They do it every day, though. But the people, as the original fountain, remember we talked about the fountain rising above its source, might take away what they have delegated and entrust to whom they to whom they please. The sovereign in every state resides in the people of the state, and they may alter or and change their form of government at their own pleasure. <clears throat> That's the United States Supreme Court. The people of the several states are absolutely and unconditionally sovereign, or they don't want you to know that, within their respective territories. And that's a United States Supreme Court case of the, uh, the Ohio Life Insurance and Trust Company versus Henry uh, DeBolt, the treasurer of the Ham- of Hamilton County. Um, another one, United States versus Lee is also a Supreme Court case. Our, under our system of, in America, the people who are there in England, who are there in England called subjects, are here the sovereign. The rights, whether collective or individually, are not bound to give way to the sentiment of loyalty to the person of a monarch. Although we have uh, President Obama, and I guess now Trump wants people to give him their loyalty. <clears throat> we don't have to do that. The citizen here in America knows no person, however near to those in power or however powerful himself, to whom he needs to yield the rights which the law secures to him when when it is well administered. Sovereignty itself is, of course, not subject to law. Get that? They're above it. I didn't say that. I didn't say I'm above the law. This case boss said I was. Because the sovereign people were in power before there were any laws. I'll read it again. Sovereignty itself is, of course, not subject to law, for it is the author and source of law. But in our system, while sovereign powers are delegated to agencies of government, from the page, sovereignty itself remains with the people by whom and for whom all government exists and acts. That's yet Roe versus Hopkins, another United States Supreme Court case. Another case. Yet if the individual is no longer to be sovereign, if the police can pick him up whenever they do not like the cut of his jib, I guess that's like a suit, in other words, for no reason at all, if they can seize and search him in their discretion, we enter a new regime. That's Terry versus State of Ohio. That's also a United States Supreme Court case. And that happens every day. You you have um, traffic stops, uh, DUI checks. Now, I think people should not drive while intoxicated. I've never had a drink in my life, so I've never had that be a problem. But when they see some guy swerving around all over the road, that's called probable cause. They They can pull him off. 
um, because if what he did is an unsafe thing, and we've talked about acts that are safe or acts that are unsafe being the uh, very basic prima facie doctrine of, in all across America. So you can go after the drunk drivers when you see them weaving all over the road, but you can't just potluck, take everybody and, and have them roll down their window and try to smell their breath. They have a right to leave their window up. They have a right not to be a witness against themselves. Read the Fourth Amendment. It's very, very, uh, very good. Now then, <clears throat> sovereignty means that the decree of the sovereign makes law. And foreign courts cannot condemn and influence persuading the sovereign to make the decree. Another case. This is a Supreme Court case. I can't even pronounce the, na- the name. It's spelled K-A-W-A-N-A-N-A-K-O-A versus Polyblank. The very meaning of sovereignty is that the decree of the sovereign makes the law. So you see, we're sovereign and we, we vote representatives to go in there and create laws for us. And that's how that works out there. Another case, it's also the United States Supreme Court, Perry versus United States. Some guy sued the United States. In the United States, sovereignty resides in the people who act through the organs established by the Constitution. Congress cannot invoke the sovereign power of the people to override their will as thus declared. Now, here's another one. West Coast Hotel Company versus Perry's, another United States Supreme Court case. Constitutions cannot be changed by events alone. They remain binding as the acts of the people in their sovereign capacity as the framers of government until they are amended or abrogated by the action prescribed by the authority which created them. So you see, you're way up there above above government. And you and and see they would like to badmouth the founding fathers, they'll say, Well the founding fathers were just a bunch of rich white slave owners. Well let's just say they were all Donald Trumps, every one of them. Wouldn't you think they would create a government to serve them really well? That's what they did. And and we can get in on that because we're of their posterity. So that so what? They created a, a constitution that has lasted all these many years. Today we have government people that say, well, that's just a joke. It's outdated. You know, we have space-age stuff. Well, if you don't like the constitution, then do what you can to have it amended. The founding fathers made it a living document. You can amend it. It's been amended 27 times. And some of those amendments, one of them was not very good, so they had a repeal. And that was due to the trial by jury that the Seventh Amendment gives us. But they won't give you a trial by jury now because your neighbors that know you are on that jury panel. And they can do what's known as jury nullification. It's part of our system of checks and balances. They don't, they'll, they'll say you're in contempt of court if you bring that up in front of the jury. They want the jury to, be, to do what they're told to do. Okay, there's an old and well-known rule that statutes which in general terms divest pre-existing rights or privileges will not be applied to the sovereign without express word to that effect. Another Supreme Court case, Wilson versus Omaha Indian tribe. 
the common usage, in common usage, the term person, we've already talked about that, does not include the sovereign. And statutes employing the word are ordinarily construed to exclude it. Like, see, all persons who drive a motor vehicle shall be licensed. It doesn't apply to me at all. I think I should obey all the laws that apply to me, but none of them do. They apply to people who step down from their sovereignty for the day and place themselves under all those laws, rules, and regulations. Back in 1994, I needed to raise some serious money. Uh, I needed to buy a, a set of books. I wanted all the California codes annotated by West Publishing and all the United States codes, public, uh, codes annotated. And I wanted to pay off my parents that loaned me some money years earlier for my business and it wasn't getting paid off. And I thought I better get it paid off. My, my mobile home service business was going downhill. This was not reviving. So I had an asset that I thought I would never sell. It was 1931 armor-plated bulletproof gangster car. It was custom-built for Dutch Schultz, the beer brand of New York City. And after his death outside the car, was stolen by Al Capone. Al Capone owned the car until it got shot up. It had 105 bullet holes in it when I bought it. And so I, I thought, well, I, I need the money. And so I let Christie's, the world-famous auction house, sell it at the Pebble Beach Concourse Auction. And uh, it now sits over at Whiskey Pete's Casino at State Line, Nevada, and that's the Bonnie and Clyde death car. But I owned that car for 33 years, and I sold it so that I could have these books. So it's a wall full of books. They don't apply to me. They apply to people who step down and place themselves under those laws. And I just told you, I just read you the case that says that. Okay, here's another case. Here is the often expressed understanding from the United States Supreme Court that in common usage, the term sovereign status employing the person and corporation are ordinarily construed to exclude the sovereign man or woman. Boy, they don't want you to know that. Who said that? The United States Supreme Court. And that's in Wilson versus Omaha tribe. And by the way, I've got to mention something here because I'm pretty excited about it. When I was about seven or eight, my grandmother told me that our family, um, when traveling in covered wagons, found a little baby Indian girl who had been abandoned. And they saved her life, and they adopted her and raised her as an American. My brother just had a genealogy. My, I have an identical twin brother. Just had a genealogical study, and we found her. She's my great-great-great-grandmother. <laughs> She's a full-blooded Cherokee. And she had 15 children. In those days, everybody had big families. 118 grandchildren and 48 great-grandchildren. And my grandmother was one of her great-grandchildren. <clears throat> so anyway, I've got some Indian, Indian blood in me. And by the way, I'm going to bring up something else here. Uh, Columbus never saw America. He went to the British West Indies, and he saw South America later, but he never saw America. He did not discover America. He discovered the British West Indies. And 
he saw the dark-skinned people, so he thought they were Indians from India. So he named them Indians and then got pulled over into America. And the the people saw the, the bison and they misnamed them buffalo because they looked like a water buffalo. So we don't have American buffaloes, we have American bison. So there's a lot of correction being made today. And so when when the people who are politically correct, they learned about this, they said, well, we've got to call the Indians uh, Native Americans now. Well, that's not even a good one because everybody born in America is a Native American, everybody. There's about 300 million Native Americans living in America. So now they say, well, we've got to correct that. So that today the term, the right term is first Americans. And that's, that's more accurate. And if you go to the the uh, National Archives, like I do, I spend a lot of time there. They even have a First American um, area where you can go study about what more people call Indians, but they're First Americans, and they're up to date there at the archives. Okay, one more here. Federalism has more than one dynamic in allocating powers between the states and national governments. Federalism secures to citizens the liberties that derived from the diffusion of sovereign power. And that's, the, that's New York versus United States. See, there's a lot of governments and people that sue the United States, and so there's case law that way. Another one here. This is Billings versus Hall. It's a California case. Under, um, see, you can use this in all the other states because they're all federal states. Um, under our form of government, the legislature is not supreme. It is only one of the organs of the absolute sovereignty which resides in the whole body of the people, like other bodies of government. It can only exercise such powers that have been delegated to it, and when it steps beyond that boundary, it acts, its acts are utterly void. Boy, that says a lot because they do that all the time. They have a limited delegation of authority and they they take more authority than was ever given to them. And all that stuff they do is void, not voidable, it's void. Now, Black's Law Dictionary, 5th page 1252, says under sovereign people, the political body consisting of the entire number of citizens and qualified electors, See, they weren't voters, a voter. When you say you're a voter, you sign up for your uh, to vote. You have to claim you're a citizen of the United States. See, not the citizen, not of the United States of America. You're, you're, you declare your citizenship is in Washington D.C. and you can vote for the president of the corporation. Years ago, they didn't have voters; they had electors. See how words and their meanings are critical. Who in their collective capacity possess the powers of sovereignty? That's the, the qualified electors. Uh, who in their collective capacity possess the powers of sovereignty and exercise them through their chosen representatives. Now, here's another one. Blair versus Ridgely. R-I-D-G-E-L-E-Y. Um, prior to the adoption of the federal constitution, States possess unlimited and unrestricted sovereignty and retain the same ever after. Upon entering the Union, they retained all of the original power and sovereignty except that as was surrendered to the federal government or were expressly prohibited from exercising 
by the United States Constitution. You know, there's, there's some of them say no state shall. Now, here's a really good one. California Government Code 11-120. It is the public policy of this state that public agencies exist to aid the conduct of the people's business and proceed and proceedings of public agencies be conducted openly so that public may remain informed. You know, they have a lot of uh, secret meetings. In acting this article, the legislature plays and declares that it is the intent of the law that actions of state agencies be taken openly from the page and that their deliberation and con- be conducted openly. Now listen to this one. The people of this state do not yield their sovereignty to the agents which serve them. See, like Donald Trump, he created a government that would serve them. The people in delegated authority do not give their public servants the right to decide what is good for the people to know and what is not good for them to know. The people insist on remaining informed so that they may retain control over the instrument they have created. This article shall be known and may be cited as the Bagley King Open Meeting Act. And here's another one that's almost identical. The California Government Code 54950. In, in, in enacting this chapter, the legislature finds and declares that the public commissions, boards and councils, and other public agencies in this state exist to aid in the conduct of the people's business. It is the intent of the law that those actions be taken openly and their deliberations be conducted openly. The people of this state do not yield their sovereignty to the agencies which serve them. The people in delegating authority do not give their public servants the right to decide what is good for the people to know and what is not good for them to know. The people insist on remaining informed so that they may retain control over the instruments they have created. See, that citation, even though it's a, it's a statute, it's, it's a code, it's still... Uh, reads almost identical to that case law. Then here's Glass versus Betsy, B-E-T-S-E-Y. It's the United States Supreme Court case. In Europe, the executive is synonymous with the sovereign power of a state where it is too commonly acquired by force or fraud or both. In America, however, the case is widely different. Our government is founded upon compact that's contract. Sovereignty was and is in the people. Here's another one of the United States Supreme Court, Harcourt versus Gilliard. Each state declared itself sovereign and independent according to the limits of its territory, the soil and sovereignty within their acknowledged limits were as much theirs as the Declaration of Independence as it was this very hour. Lansing versus Smith. The people of this state, as successors of its former sovereign, that would be the king, are entitled to all the rights which formerly belonged to the king by his prerogative. To the medium of legislature, they may exercise all the powers which previously to the, pre- previous to the revolution could have been exercised either by the king alone or by him 
in conjunction with his parliament, subject only to those restrictions which have been imposed. Got to change, turn the page here. By the Constitution of this state or of the U.S. Here's another United States Supreme Court case. The Siren, that was a ship versus U.S. It is the doctrine of the common law that the sovereign cannot be sued in his own court without his consent. Boy, how do you like that? Sovereign in court, the sovereign, the sovereign states have been abolished in 1790 by the adoption of Article 1 of the Statutes of Arts, which converted all sovereign states into federal districts and gave the federal government lawful jurisdiction everywhere. In consideration of the fact that the federal government is a corporation and the corporations can lawfully own other corporations and all American subjects to be educated have admitted under penalty of perjury that they are corporations. That's with your uppercase name. You, you admit to that. See, when you get a bill from the IRS, it's your name in all uppercase, and it says, Dear Taxpayer. And when you respond to that, you are admitting that you're one of those strawman corporations that goes by that uppercase name and that you are a taxpayer. I have a 28-page document that I created many years ago that gets rid of that. Anyway, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I think uh, I'm ready for Q&A. <clears throat> well, that is quite a story, Bob. <laughs> yeah. And lots of case sites, so we'll have that on the website. That'll be cool. Yeah, okay. Um, so if anybody has any questions for Bob, hit star 8 on your phone to raise your hand, and we will call on you. While they're doing that, I'm going to point out that the sovereign people, one of the one of the duties of being one of the sovereign people is that your land is sovereign. That means no local code or ordinance or code enforcement people can come in out and tell you how to use your land. Your, you are sovereign. Your land is sovereign. And they don't get it. And they, they've been not been trained that way. I had a sheriff one time tell my twin brother because he thought he was me for a while, I guess. (laughs) He said, uh, you know, I enjoy picking your brother's brain. I tend to believe more what your brother teaches than what I've been trained in my job. (laughs) Yeah. Their their training is is, uh, as federal corporate entities that are there to control you, and you, you became controlled because you allowed them to, they gave you a, a, an uppercase name, a corporate name, and you identify with that. And I'm thinking of another thing right away. If you look at your your check your checking account, look at just pull out a check and look at it, and you'll see your name is all uppercase. And on the line that you sign your name to the right of it, it says uh-huh. MP. MP. That stands for microprinting. You can't even read that line. That line is so little. The letters are so micro that you need a child's microscope to read it, but it says authorized representative over and over and over. So you didn't even know that, and nobody told you that, but they tricked us into believing that we have a checking account, and we don't. Our straw man has a checking account, and we are the authorized representative of that straw man, and so we can sign his checks. So 
I've got a couple of questions. Sure. Um, if, let's say, you're pulled over and you're detained, you know, a cop writes you a ticket, whatever, and it's all done on the premise of you operating commercially, at the point that you go to sue him and the entity that he works for, the state or the city, whatever, um, <clears throat> what about including the state entity that trained him? Yes. That, that certified him? Include them? Yes, yeah, yeah, but you see, there's, there's, there's case law that says you can't sue the state, but you're not suing the state, you're suing the corporation. So you can sue that corporation. You sue the uppercase name and you sue the officer and you sue his training officer and you sue his supervisor and if he's working for the state you can sue uh, the governor there's been people that sued the governor and his wife and they had success in court you people are there you were put in place to serve me what are you doing out here trying to control well, me with your with your ignorance you're messing well, with the wrong guy here so, for Oregon, it's that awful acronym of DPSST, the Department of Public Safety Standards and Training. They're the ones that train police officers. Isn't it their job to train them the difference between commercial and, like you say, sovereign? Yes. And I think a few weeks ago we, we talked about uh, the difference between drivers and travelers. Right, and uh, the, they need to, they need this education themselves, and uh, we train people. The sheriff up in uh, I think it's Wisconsin or Minnesota. I, I I said I would help her. Remember about four weeks ago or three weeks ago, and I have um, sent her a document that she's filed into the court, and we start to see how it applies. But it's going to be educational for those people because. They're going to see stuff they've never seen before. One one officer arrested me one time for, uh, uh, he should have been arresting somebody else. Uh, I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't have brown eyes, I had blue eyes, and I, I was not five feet tall, <laughs> I was 5'10", and um, this little guy weighed more than I did. But anyway, he arrested me, and I showed him one of these documents while we were waiting and he just shook his head, and he says, I, I didn't know that. You know, and I'm, I'm quoting case law from the Supreme Court and stuff. So it's an educational thing. And now this, this sheriff that I told you about that says he enjoys picking my brain, he won't touch me. And he <laughs> tells everybody else to leave me alone. In fact, he told me one time, he said, did you know you have a warrant for your arrest? And I said, yeah, it's an old warrant. It's past 60 days. Uh, which invokes the risk doctrine, which means it'd be a false arrest, a false imprisonment worth a thousand dollars a minute, and I just really want some fool to arrest me because yeah. I could use the money. So and, my next uh, he question. Just, he, just, he just laughed and drove away. So my next question. Let's be very clear. What is the definition of this state? Um, that's a very good question, and it's it's this overlapping federal corporate state. It's the one in all uppercase letters. For instance, in California, it has an 1849 constitution. It's a common law republic constitution. In Article 10, it, it, uh, Section 1 and 2, it makes a provision for its amendment 
and for its appeal, repeal, excuse me, it has never been repealed. It was amended only three times in 30 years. And one of those amendments made the repeal harder to happen. The people loved it so much. But yet in 1879, which is after 1871, the act of 1871, they came out with another constitution. It's the state of California in uppercase letters. And that was not voted in by the sovereign people. It was voted in, it was adopted by the citizens of the United States. In other words, the freed slaves and all those people who didn't know any better. And so it was adopted by them. It did not supersede the, and there's a case law that says, well, the new constitution supersedes the old one. No, it doesn't. No court can ever amend a constitution. And the 1849 Constitution makes it very clear how you get rid of that Constitution, and that's never happened. So that original Constitution is there to protect us from our public servants. The 1879 Constitution is there to control everybody, including those the uh, the persons out there that that are so ignorant they think they're, they're persons. So in this state, in this state, it's talking about that overlapping state, the, the, the federal corporate state, not the constitutionally valid state. It's, uh, we call it the underlying uh, de jure federal state and then the overlapping de facto federal corporate state. So that's what this state means is the overlapping corporate state? Yes. It's just very specific, and it goes right over people's heads. Okay, so we've got somebody from Oregon that would like to speak with you. Sir. Go ahead. Hello, Tad. Genevieve here. <laughs> what what kind of a call would it be if we didn't have Genevieve <laughs> to lighten our evening? No. Oh. <laughs> huh? Who said that? No, I'll get him later. <laughs> so go ahead. What's on your mind? Hello, Bob. <clears throat> Hello. Uh, thank you for your talk tonight. It's very interesting. Thank you very good. You're looking good? Yeah, I'm, lo- I'm loving what you're saying. Oh, uh, good. It's so clarifying, and I really like how you're presenting it. So you've done a really good job on writing it. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, just a, a, I think just a couple of questions. Last week when we talked, you said that really none of the laws apply to you. And that's correct, isn't it? Except for the common law, yes. Oh, okay. So where, where um, the common law is basically do no harm. Right. And keep your word. That's right. So it doesn't have to be written out with a whole bunch of different explanations of that. The common law is unwritten. Right. What it is is custom usage, practice, and procedure based on reason, logic, and common sense. Period. It's it. All those written laws apply to persons. And it says so right in the law. All persons shall. No person shall. So doesn't apply, doesn't apply to me. 
so, but you go ahead. When you go into court, you you quote back their rules, statutes, regulations back to them in support of of your position? Yes. Now, if I ever have to go to court, I demand a trial by jury. I demand a Seventh Amendment trial by jury in a court of record. A court of record proceeds at the common law. They will not give me that. That is a, that's an appealable issue. So I can reverse it on appeal no matter what they charge me with because they, I, because it's reversible error. I demanded a trial, a Seventh Amendment trial by jury, and they denied it to me, and I have that right. See, the founding fathers blessed them. They made it so that I could get my peers, my neighbors from my neighborhood to to do jury nullification if necessary, nullification of a bad law. It's our system of checks and balances. They will not give me that power. They'll They'll hope that I'm so ignorant that I'm going to say, oh, well, okay, you know, the judge said. And I overrule judges. I sue judges. They know who Bob Schaefer is. (laughs) And that's why they leave me alone. Okay. (laughs) So, oh, oh, I'm losing my second question. Uh, Well, okay, so... Another question I had is, do court clerks, cops, and city officials take the same oath that judges take? Yes. In California, it's Article 20, uh, Section 3, which is five paragraphs long. And you need to look up your, your state's oath of office. In California, Paragraph 1, excuse me, uh, yeah, paragraph one and five say who else will take that oath of office. Paragraph two and three is the oath of office, and they don't take that one, even though it's still in the, in, in the books. Paragraph four says no other oath shall be taken as a qualification, which means they're not qualified until they take the two-paragraph oath. So I help people sue judges as impersonating um, a, a judge. They're not a judge. They're not a judge at all. They're impersonating a judge because they didn't swear to affirm the the prescribed oath. And I think this was across the board in every state. You see, back in the early 50s, um, there was a guy, I can't think of his name right now, or come to me, that talked about the evil um, communists. And so all the states passed a law that says something like, uh, and I further do swear or affirm that I do not belong to any organization designed to overthrow the government of the state of California and, the, and all other states, uh, or the state or the government, the federal government, by force, violence, or other unlawful means. Well, now don't we have terrorism in our face here? Don't we want to know that people that work for us and don't belong to such? Um, organization? Why, well, of course, and they don't do that. Now, here's what we do, and I'm going to help a guy do this on Friday. We're going after his judge. Uh, it's a, it's a uh, family law case. The guy is totally a jerk, and so we're going to sue the, the family law judge. Just not going to have a reputation like I do before it's over, and we're, we're going to sue him because he's not a judge. He didn't swear from the right oath of office. 
We're going to get a statement of economic interest. In that, he's not going to claim that he got any money from the county. He's a state judge. He gets paid from the state. He has no business taking money from the county, but they get paid a lot of money. I mean, like thousands of dollars. And they make excuses. Well, that's just to help them out with their petty cash and stuff. You don't need $120,000 in petty cash. That's really put in there to buy his vote. In other words, you see it our way in all these court cases from the county, code enforcement stuff, your uh, your little uh, cash uh, allowance is going to go up. And they know where which side of the bed is the butter is. They know what, that's an old cliche, by the way. Uh, they know how to get more money out of the, out of the county. So we go to the treasurer. And we asked the treasurer how much money has the county of San Bernardino paid this judgment the last five years. And then we, we point out that it doesn't show up on a statement of economic interest. And if you judges are listening to this, you better tighten up because we're coming after you and you don't have a way out of this one. You've lied. You've committed perjury on your statement of economic interest. And you're not even a judge, so you don't have a defense. And you don't have any immunity against my lawsuit. And so, your people can do the your people can do the same thing. So first thing you want to do when you get a judge is get his oath of office. You get his bond. He doesn't have a bond, but he's supposed to. You get a statement of economic interest, and you go to the county and you ask how much money they paid him over the last five years, and you can use all that against him. And you do all this in writing, by the way. There's an old maxim of law that says if it didn't happen in writing, it didn't happen. So you've got you've got your letter going out and you've got their letter coming back. That's exhibit A and B in your lawsuit against them. You've got to set them up. I set them up really good. Do uh, do court clerks, cops, and city officials also take oaths? I believe so. Yeah, I think every all public servants, unless it's the guy that empties the trash. Oh. So, and it would be the same oath as the judge? Yes. Oh, how weird. Um, okay. I'm losing my question, so I guess I'll just get off because I don't want to waste anybody's time. Well, you can come back when you think about it. Well, okay. Oh, well, okay. I have a, a question, that, and I know that you said I should ask Winston Strout this question, but I thought maybe you might give me a lead. And the lead that I'm asking for is, do you know where I can find the kind of information uh, about colored inks and thumbprints and postage stamps and stuff like that? Information on what? On on using, you know, autographing with uh, red ink or blue ink and using a your thumbprint in one color or the other. What I'm looking for is where could I look up this information for myself? Well, about 20 years ago, a guy named Roger Elbert came out with the redemption process, and he had some really good success stories. He and his neighbor were thrown in prison for... Uh, two years by the IRS, and they did nothing but study law. And when they came out, they went. They came out with a heavy hand, and they ended up getting their farm back, and they got so much money they could buy a two-story, eight-wheel air-conditioned tractor 
Well, then they started teaching people this. But they were honest enough to say, you know, this needs to be developed. This isn't everything. And so people did go to jail using some of that, but it was the redemption where they came up with uh, what you're talking about. So if you go online and look up redemption, you'll find somewhere it talks about that because that was one of the good things. Okay. It's, it's okay. To, it's okay to do that. In other words, your thumbprint is your seal. Right. Um, okay, I've got another question. Sure. When you do a notice of rescission on your original document, uh, you said that the moment you put it in the mail, it's rescinded. Well, no, I didn't say that. Court, oh? The court. The courts have said that, and I just repeat what the courts have. But, yes, that's right. The minute you put in the mail, it's rescinded. Now, what happens is they they then can either accept it as a full rescission or they have to sue you or get a court determination that says it wasn't rescinded. But until they get a court, in other words, this really puts the shoe on the other foot. You see, the court, the road to the courthouse is a two-way street. It's not just one way. They You don't have to fear the court, you can use the court against them. And so with the, on the rescission, you force them to, to go to court and, and say that what you said wasn't true. And then you have what's known as a case in controversy and you go in and you get your trial by jury, which they won't give you, and then you've got, appeal, you've got uh, an appealable issue. It's called reversible error. So you can win when, you, when you're wrong, even, because they never do the do their job right. Now, I've made a statement some time ago, and I've had people tell me how great that statement was. It's my own statement, but it's similar, and I'm going to say it again here, it's similar to a real estate sales. When I was in real estate years ago, and I went to seven times more continuing education that I needed to renew my license because I just wanted, I craved this knowledge. And in real estate investing, there's an old saying that says the three most important aspects of real estate investing is location, location, and location. I mean, you can you buy a place in a bad location, you're stuck with it. Nobody else wants it either. You got to get a good location. So I've turned that around and I've made it into my statement, and that, and I use it all the time, especially against them. And that is the three most important things to know in the courtroom is procedure procedure and procedure. In other words, the, the, the big high-cost attorneys that get people off, you know, like O.J. Simpson, they use the, the opposition's bad procedure against them. In other words, you can get a guilty guy off because the, the police and the government didn't do their procedure right. So it's a, procedure is really, really, really important. And they use it against you all the time. If you did something wrong, they're going to say, well, you know, justice really isn't important, sir. Your procedure was wrong. And, and technically, with a pro se litigant, uh, they're supposed to look the other way if you didn't do your procedure right. Um, the pro se litigants are held to a less stringent standard. That's Haynes versus Turner, United States Supreme Court case. And I've got a bunch of cases on that. And they even have to tell you how to correct it, even though they'll say, well, I'm not your attorney, and I'm not going to be your attorney. Well, wait a minute. Here's case law from the United States Supreme Court that tells me you have to tell me how to correct my mistake. I'm just a pro se litigant. What do I know? I'm just off the street. 
I don't have all these years of experience and, and education like the guy over there on the other end of the table, but I, I'm seeking justice, and I need justice, and you have to tell me how to correct it because the law says you do. And if you don't, that's called reversible error. I can win on appeal. I don't care how I win, by the way. You have said that if you want the judge's help, um, you can ask for it. But if he asks you if you want him to help you, if he asks you, then he sucks you in to his jurisdiction. Is that's that correct? That's right. And that's exactly right. You know, sometimes they'll say, well, what do, you, what do you want of me? And that's a, that's a way to suck you in. And and offensive. This uh, this is this brings up a really kind of almost funny situation. Um, I got I was helping some people out on the high desert here in California, and they saw that, and they saw they they sued me too. And I said, oh, this is cool. Now I'm a party. I can just come in and plug it out with them myself. So I was a party, and I created all kinds of documents. And uh, the court knew when Schaefer was in there because the clerk would bring in a stack of papers eight inches tall, and uh, there, was, there came a time I was I have an identical twin brother and I was we were we're very close and we would travel uh, every year for six weeks all over America in his big motorhome and and do the history tour to, you know we just love history and we love going where things happen and so uh, they were I I said uh, for the record. Uh, I will not be available for seven weeks for any future uh, hearings. Uh, we have a family reunion planned back in Wisconsin, and um, so I will not be available. In other words, I didn't ask him for anything. I just gave him notice that I wouldn't be available. So he said, um, so are you asking the court for uh, leave for seven weeks? And I said, no, I'm telling the court that I will not be available. And um, so he said, uh, well, the court's going to honor that, and uh, is that okay with you? He was still trying to get me sucked into it. And I said, yes, under protest. In other words, I, I used the right word to protect my situation. Every, you want to do everything under protest. If you pay a bill, you pay it under protest. Then you leave the door open to go back and give. Otherwise, you failed to object timely. And there's a case law that says failure to object timely is fatal. So you want to object to everything right away. And even if they say, well, for what reason? I don't know. I'll think of one. But I just want the record to show I objected timely. <laughs> so you just object to everything and you do everything under protest. And when I said that, he smiled and he says, I can appreciate that. <laughs> he knew what I was doing. <laughs> well, so what... Uh, what words would you use if you actually do want the judge's assistance? Well, you, if you you make a notice and demand. If the common law is called a notice and demand, if you do a motion, application, petition, or request, you're giving them jurisdiction to say no, oh. as as well as saying yes. So you would do this if, if, if in advance of the of the court case. You would, okay. you would do the notice in advance? You do it, you do it on the court document. It's being pursuant to the format that's, that's required in the rules of court that everybody's bound to. 
when you're going into their courtroom, you, you go under their rules. It's fine. It's okay. And then you, it, the title of the document is verified. You want to verify everything. That's a whole page called verification page. Verified notice of demand. It's basically a finger in the chest. I'm poking you in the chest, Judge. I'm giving you notice. I'm not demand this. I'm not giving you permission. I'm not making a, a jurisdictional granting application, petition, motion, or request. It's a notice and I demand. That does not give him any jurisdiction. And by the way, you want to start out by saying, I'm appearing here today specially and not generally for the sole purpose of challenging the jurisdiction of this court. I've not seen any jurisdictional granting papers, and no such jurisdictional granting papers have been served on me properly. And they never do that right. Because a judge, is, let's say the judge has the right oath of office, and he's he's done everything right, and he's really a judge or she, and he's got his robe on. He's got to have his robe on. And you're let's see, I'm, I'm losing my thought here. Everything is done right. He still has no jurisdiction over you until proper jurisdictional granting papers are conferred onto the court. If it's a criminal case, by the district attorney. If it's a civil matter, like a neighbor. They've got to be in the right format, and he's got to serve you properly. It's got to be with a summons and a complaint. A summons by itself does nothing. A complaint by itself does nothing. It has to be a summons and a complaint. And then they have to do a proper proof of service to show that you were properly served. Then you better respond. Like, for instance, I tell people, I can sue you for $10,000, and you just say, I don't, know. I don't even know that guy. And so you don't respond, even though I serve you properly, then I can go in and get a clerk's entry of default judgment. The clerk works in the file and see, well, yeah, he filed it on this date. He had 30 days to answer or 20 days or 21 days, and he failed to answer. And this guy's coming in here five days later. He's not in too big of a hurry, and there's still no answer in here. He's, he's entitled to a clerk's entry of default. We don't even have to bother the judge. Now, if it's for big money, then we have to bother the judge. But yeah, procedure, procedure, and procedure. (laughs) All right. All right. Learn your procedure. (laughs) Your place. What was that that third one again? (laughs) I I missed it. The first two were procedure, procedure. What was the third one? (laughs) Procedure. By the way, yeah, I got that one, but what what was the other one? (laughs) <laughs> that reminds me of a really good speech given by Winston Churchill one time that's pretty important. It's very important. They they invited him to do a, a graduation speech at Westminster Abbey and he when he was very, very old. You know, he saved England uh, during World War II and so he was a big demand and they wondered what this very wise man would have to say to this graduating class. And when it came time for his speech, he got up very old, hobbled over to the podium, looked into the wing to the left, and he said, never give up. And then he looked at the wing on the right, and he said, never give up. (laughs) Then he looked at the main audience, and he said, never, ever give up. And he sat down. That was the most notable speech from Winston Churchill. (laughs) Very brief, but to the point. Thank you very much, Bob. I so appreciate your help. You're welcome. All right. Good night. Somebody on the board has a half question. 
I'm going to give them a couple of more moments to complete it, and then we'll probably call it an evening. Okay. Um, I don't know that I have any questions right now. But this person on the board says, Bob, is it true that all of the... Uh, Bob, is it true that all the so-called public servants from Congress to the cop on the beat are operating under the, and then I'm waiting to hear the rest of it. Somebody typed that into the chat, but they didn't finish it, so. Well, I can anticipate they're all working under the federal corporate uh, the federal corporations, yes, they are. They're not even. They're not government. They're quasi government. Remember, quasi is as if it were, but isn't. They just appear to be government. That this this change happened so slowly before we were ever born. It's just a little bit here and a little bit there, and they cinch it up a little more. You know, it reminds me, and and I'm going to tell this little story because it's exactly right on point. Um, I live in the mountains, 1,100 population, completely surrounded by national forest. And and a guy, I, I was up in the in the campground, and a guy had his horse, and he was trying to get his horse in his in his horse trailer, and he was pulling on the reins, and then the horse would come over, and the horse hook would hit the ramp, and the horse would shy away. It was just scared him to death, and he 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 tried putting the feed feed in there, and, and trying to coerce the, the horse into the trailer that way and it, it just wouldn't do it. And so then he, he got a hold of his tail and, and, and tried to pull him in that way. And so because I was on the search and rescue team for seven years, I learned about a rope break where you can take a, a rope. One man can, uh-huh. can, can let uh, six people and a, and, and a stoke stretcher with a body in it down over a cliff with a rope break. So I said, hand me the rope through the trailer. And so I took the rope and I put it a couple laps around the pipe up there on the front of the trailer. And now the rope sagged down to the to the horse's um, bridle. So I cinched up on that rope and went around that thing tight and there was enough friction on that pipe that I got the, the rope to go straight, straight to the horse. Well, the horse started sticking his nose out. He wouldn't move forward, but it, I pulled his, pulled his head. Well, that... That was uncomfortable, so he stepped forward, and 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 I pulled some more on it, and then finally he got he his hook hit the hit that ramp, and it scared him to death, and he was flipping around back and forth, and every time a little lax would come into that rope, I would sense up on it, and little by little, I got that horse in the trailer by just dragging him in. Uh. and that's what our government has done to us, little by little. They've they've done the same thing I did with that big horse that was weighed five times more than I do, and I just did it with a flick of the wrist. And they do it all the time that way because they know how to use their government rope break. Well, yeah, that's how we've lost it. Um, anyway, there's somebody else that's on the board that has a a, a lengthy. Um, situation, but they're typing it out. I told them to contact me privately, and I'll set them up with a call with you. 
Okay. So I think for now we're going to call it an evening, Bob. Okay. Thanks for joining us, people. We'll see you next week. All right, everybody, and you too, Bob. Thank you very much, and we'll chat with you again next week, folks. Bye-bye. Bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.